Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Get Invested. Have Ben Dunbar and Brett Sifling here from Gerber Kawasaki Wealth Management. Today is Tuesday, September 29th, and today uh, we're going to be talking a lot about IPOs. Um, September has been a year, uh, a month full of uh, full of IPOs. Uh, beginning of the year, you wouldn't even think we'd be having so many IPOs. So. Uh, before jumping into it, I um, always have to bring up our disclaimer in that we will be talking about IPOs, uh, talking about a few of the companies that have IPO'd recently, a little bit of the process. None of this is meant as investment advice. You should always consult your financial advisor if you have any questions regarding individual investments or any sort of planning strategies. Uh, feel free to email us. We're, we're happy to do that. So, so, Brett, why don't you kick us off? I mean, last week we talked about the SPACs. Now we got IPOs. What What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of IPOs lately, or at least it seems so. Um, some of them have been SPACs. And if you guys don't know what that is, you know, feel free to tune into our last episode where we talked a bit about that. Um, you know, I even saw actually a SPAC that was raising money for other SPACs, which was a little bit ironic. And that's kind of when you know these things are getting a bit out of hand. Now, the three of the biggest IPOs in September were actually Snowflake, a company called Unity, um, and another company called GoodRx. So before we actually jump into these companies, wanted to give you a little bit of insight on the IPO process and what exactly like, you know, the difference between public and private companies are. So, I mean, Really, this has been a long history since really the 1600s um, that public companies have become a central fixture of the global economy. And it really enables enterprises to raise money from the broadest possible group of investors. And it allows about anyone from hedge fund managers to just regular people to actually take stakes in what could be you know the next Google or the next Amazon or Apple, um, or really just gain a say in how some of the world world's biggest businesses are run. So it also gave us, you know, a measure of, of democracy, really, in the corporate ro- um, world. So well, sort of, sort of, Brett, right? <laughs> the, the, those big banks, those hedge funds, a lot of times they're getting access to these companies before they IPO. Um, but but yes, eventually we, we all get access sometimes uh, 100% after after the IPO comes out, like the case for uh, a few of the companies recently. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's private companies and there's also you know public markets. Most of the stocks that we traditionally talk about are, are in public markets, right? The Apples, the Microsofts, the Googles, the Amazons of the world. Um, you know, private companies they have a lot less rules when it comes to um, reporting, so they don't actually have to give quarterly reports. And you know, because of that, they actually have less of a pool of capital to raise from. from. So typically, early on in a company's life. Um, they're really funded by the founders, venture capitals, or angel investors, like you said. And so, as the company grows, though, it goes through a lot of funding rounds. You hear, you know, Series A, Series B, and ultimately, they usually end up with an IPO. Now, a IPO or a public company is basically, you know, they sold a portion of themselves. Um, in an initial public offering, meaning that shareholders really have a claim to a part of that company's assets and profits. So just because a company is public, too, doesn't necessarily mean that it's bigger than some private companies. I mean, some of the largest private companies that you guys may have heard of before, Albertsons, uh, Ernst & Young, Fidelity, uh, Staples. So um, you know, if you remain private, the the advantage to that is you're really just not beholden to the public shareholders. 
And yeah, and and jumping along with that, I mean, where we have venture capital, we have private equity. Um, one of the biggest advantages, actually, in, in, in investing beforehand, uh, just from a behavioral finance standpoint, is you don't see pricing every day when you invest in these companies, right? You look at the stock market. You know, Amazon's been down over seventy percent, uh, I think, three times since it's IPO'd, right? And so when you have these like day to day fluctuations in the public markets, people freak out and people panic. And although you know, although these private companies may go through challenging times over a six month and nine month time period, because it's not pricing every single day, it kind of helps with volatility. I mean, imagine some of these companies going through COVID in March and April, and some of these companies that were, that were private, and you know, they need to raise more money, no one's giving out any money. Right, right when everything was starting, probably the prices of these companies would go down. But since they're private, you don't see that. Uh, and so once you're subject to the public market, which these companies are now, you're going to be subject to the volatility of day to day Robin Hooders and, uh, you know, people trading your stock up and down. That's a great point. And uh, this also, you know, might be a little bit of stretch, but it's also the case in the real estate market too, right? Our houses don't really price every day. So a lot of people aren't, um, you know, aware of like these fluctuations, even though they are happening. Um, but, you know, as far as IPOs go, they're, they're really starting to get hot again, it seems um, like in the 80s and 90s, but there's been a lot less of them. So, you know, in the, from 1980 to about 2000, an average of about 311 firms went public every single year. Now, in 2001 to 2011, there was only an average of about 99 firms that went public every year. So nearly a third. And they've been offering shares at even less of a rate than that um, in the, you know, basically 2010 to 2020. So there was about 3,600 firms that were listed on the U.S. Stock Exchange at the end of 2017, which was down more than half from 1997. Now, just because they've actually decreased in the number of firms, these companies have actually grown in size. Now, their total market value as a percentage of GDP or gross domestic product is actually close to the peak that it reached in 1999, which is super interesting. Now, I think that this decrease um, in companies going public is, you know, for a few different reasons. Um, part of its regulation um, in 2002, there's a Sarbanes-Oxley legislation that was designed to counteract a lot of the accounting frauds in the 1990s. A company just couldn't slap a dot com on them and raise billions of dollars <laughs> um, like they used to. Um, there's also been a lot more M&A activity, right? Companies consolidating to gain market share in their industry. Um, there's governance and, you know, also a lot of other factors. And so since there's so much that goes into these IPOs, they can be a bit scary. Um, and, you know, what exactly is scary about these IPOs, Ben? Yeah, Brett, you brought up a good point. I I think talking about how much less firms there are is so interesting just because of the reduced number of IPOs and a lot of especially that M&A. And, you know, that may continue because with interest rates as low as they are and seemingly continue uh, the continued low rates that we're going to have um, for as of now, it seems like a decently long period of time. You have companies like Apple, companies like Amazon that can borrow at one percent right like you can borrow at such a low interest rate it's like why not try to acquire companies that are growing revenue and all of that so uh we'll, we'll kind of see how that how that continues to play but 
But look, IPOs can be scary. Uh, and, you know, we watch just about basically every major IPO um, that comes out. And so the ones that are typically more talked about are the ones that shoot up. But we're going to talk about a little more on like the facts. Um, so Dimensional Funds, a uh, great firm that does a lot of good research. Um, from 2001 to 2018, uh, they basically looked at uh, all the major IPOs and what their ultimate return was over that 20-year time period. Okay, This is post.com bubble. Uh, I don't think it's really worth it to look at the 90s because it's just so it was so volatile up in the 90s and down in early 2000s. So starting in 2001 is probably good. And so what they found was... Um, IPOs averaged less than a 4% annual return from 2001 to 2018 um, versus the Russell 2000. It's basically the 2000 smallest publicly traded companies on the major exchanges um, was was about double that, um, just under 8%. So what we typically see in IPOs are that so much of the returns are generated just in the first few days when there's so much hype. Um, and, and the thing is people don't get to capture a lot of these returns, um, like take snow, snowflake, for example, ticker snow, um, they actually were going to go public at $70, but the first trade happened at $240, right? It's just, it's absolutely wild. Um, it's clear, it's clear that the, uh, the private market didn't do a good job of evaluating, what the public market um, was going to basically value the company, so a lot of money was left on left on the table. Now, with that, um, there are things that are called lockups with IPOs that uh, a lot of people don't talk about. Um, so, I personally work with a lot of clients that are in technology that have worked at a lot of these major companies that have IPO'd. And what you have is, is you have people that have worked, oftentimes worked at these companies for a long period of time who have had shares in the company, but have not been able to liquidate their shares because the company's private. It's not traded. So, you know, you have 30 year olds that have hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dollars um, that has been locked up in these companies. And guess what? They want to buy a house, right? They want to take some time off. They have different things that they want to do, but when the company IPOs, they are restricted typically from selling their shares. And the reason for that is is what they don't want is right when a company IPOs, all the insiders sell their shares, maybe they leave the company, but more than anything, it'll bring the price down and you wanna kinda have a good momentum um, for a stock when you do IPO. Uh, And so what you actually saw um, specifically from some other companies more you know, that went public, uh, not not just in the past few months. If you look at Lyft and Uber, right? Um, Lyft and Uber are actually still trading well below uh, their IPO price. But if you actually look at what happened to the stock, the stocks when they IPO'd, there were during these lockups when insiders had the ability to sell their shares, you actually could see a major pullback in the price. Now, it doesn't always happen with every single company. Um, people on the inside may think, hey, um, this is a really long-term play. We really like this company. I mean, I know Trade Desk is a great example. Um, the, I, I talk to a lot of people at that company, and and they love the company. And a lot of those people have held their investments in the company just because they think they think it's a great investment long-term. But eventually, what you have is you have people that have 
um, millions of dollars, you have uh, young people that do want to uh, basically be able to reach some of their financial goals and eventually they're going to have to sell some stock. And so you have that big, you have a lot of risk with IPOs um, once that comes, once basically all all the insiders have the ability to start to start selling their shares. So I think there's a the, the big thing like we want to say is you got to be careful with these IPOs. And um, I don't want to say we're not saying this is the 90s. These companies actually do have revenue. They're not just uh, throwing on dot com or throwing on Bitcoin or uh, blockchain technology like we saw with <laughs> Long Island Iced Tea a while ago. Um, th- these companies have meaningful revenue. Uh, however, people are kind of assuming that they are priced for perfection. Um, and there can be can be a lot of risk with, with those companies. And, you know, you see a lot of times further down the line, um, a lot of the companies can be trading below their IPO prices a little bit after. It seems like the people that really make the most money in the IPOs are the early investors, the employees, the investment banks, um, people involved with the company beforehand and not necessarily um, the investors that are able to trade it right away on the public markets, correct? For sure. And, and you, yeah, and, and you got to think about it, right? So let's say you own a great company, right? Let's say you, you're, you're an insider, you're the CEO, or you're one of the executives at this company. The company is growing their revenue substantially, is doing great. And you think 10 to 20 years from now, this company is going to do substanti- substantially better. Uh, why would you want to sell some of your shares, right? A lot of times these companies are forced because they have uh, investors that basically need to realize a gain. But um, you, you got to realize these people that are invested in the companies are now giving up some of their ownership in these companies by going public. So yes, you raise money. Yes, you do all these things. But at the end of the day, like, they are issuing shares to go public so they can cash out at least some of some of their money. And so that's that's definitely a risk. Now, let's, uh, you know, let's kind of get into some of these these hot IPOs that we've been talking about, or at least the ones that are kind of in the spotlight right now. Yeah, well, I'll kind of kick it off with good good RX, which is right in our backyard in Santa Monica. Um, they have a market cap of about $20 billion. Um, they're looking to disrupt the pharmaceutical drug industry. And as we know, this is the most efficient industry ever and makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the health, healthcare industry, we definitely believe is right for disruption. Um, but basically what they're doing, uh, is pulling in data and utilizing, uh, like all this different data from mail order pharmacies, from local pharmacies, and comparing prices just so you can have a more fair price for what you're paying um, for your prescriptions and all of that. So, and Brett, why, why don't you you talk about the two other big ones, Unity and Snowflake? Sure, and you know, GoodRx definitely an interesting company. Next one, Unity Software, um, a little bit more recent. It's actually a twenty three billion dollar company doing about only six hundred forty million in sales right now. Um, it's it's essentially a, a game engine. Um, it is their core product that they're allowed to to build these games on. So there's really only one big competitor and 
our gaming experts that are in-house can definitely tell you more about this if you guys want to reach out and, and chat about it. I know the video game clients that I have specifically reached out and were asking how they can get involved with this company because they know that they do such a good job. Um, so really, it's it's the physics, the 3D image rendering for games and also a lot of other applications actually for like medical um, and a couple other things. Now, Snowflake is... Um, arguably one of the, the ones that went up the most too. It's, it's a really a cloud data platform. Um, the founders, fun fact, actually chose the name because they like to ski. Pretty simple. Um, the actual former <laughs> CEO is, um, or the CEO is a, the former CEO of ServiceNow. And it's a $68 billion company. Definitely not cheap. It's only doing about $400 million in revenue. Um, but it's growing incredibly fast. And so what it does is they essentially... Um, store their data um, in a warehouse that's built on the cloud so that companies can basically pipe in all their applications, SaaS data, and analyze and basically make business decisions very quickly by aggregating all that data on different reporting tools. Um, so definitely a lot of you know exciting companies coming out. Um, now, which ones are, are great investments? Um, it's really all about your situation. Um, like I mentioned, you, you should reach out to us and um, you know should never invest in these companies specifically just off our advice on these podcasts. Um, ben, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Snowflake hit, hits all the uh, the big words people talk about. It. It's, it's big data. It's machine learning. <laughs> it's the cloud. It's AI. It's, it's, it's enterprise-wide level software. Um, so, growing yeah, really I, fast. I, I was, <laughs> growing, growing really fast, exactly. Um, but... You know, with with that, we'll we'll probably close it out. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting time in the stock market right now. We we have the election coming up in a month. We actually have the the debate tonight. Probably will already have happened by the time you're listening to this. So we'll we'll probably catch up uh, a little bit on the debate. Um, what what's been going on there? Uh, maybe talk maybe talk a little bit about taxes. Um, you know, right now there's going to be different tax policy proposals that are going out there. Obviously, we've gotten some information on Trump's tax returns for the past 10 years. So uh, we, we do have an in-house tax expert uh, now. And so that, that may be something we, we jump into next week. But um, as always, feel free to uh, to check out any of our other Get Invested episodes or, or other webinars that we've done on Spotify. And then uh, Brett, yep. I'll let you hit it with the social media. Yeah, let us know if you guys have any specific topics you guys want to talk about or have questions on. Um, we're also putting out a lot of content on social, whether it's Twitter, at Trades or at Ben Dunbar GK. And also feel free to just email us directly. Ask us questions. I'm Brett at GerberKawasaki.com. Ben is just Ben at GerberKawasaki.com. So we're here um, to basically uh, answer any questions that you guys have and help in any way possible. So reach out um, and until next time. See you guys.